0: Our guest today is
1: Mark Rowland, who's the Innovation Actualizer and Lead at AFWorks Vegas. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us on the AI Today podcast. Hi, guys. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at AFWorks Vegas. And then for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with AFWorks, can you also explain what that is?
2: Yeah, sure, happy to. So I'm just generally, I guess, a business person, entrepreneur at heart. Started off my career with Price Waterhouse, the PwC as it is now as a management consultant. Did that for ten years, then left and went to work for one of my clients who has head of strategy and business development. This was the largest retailer in Australia at the time, about two hundred thousand employees, so a really big company. Then left there and became the CEO of a hospitality company. Then left there and founded my own company. So I was founding CEO of an e-commerce company. Then left Australia, moved to the US to support Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, with an entrepreneurial ecosystem project in downtown Las Vegas. Did that for for just over three and a half years and then started working with the Air Force which I guess we'll talk about, I guess, academically. I have a Bachelor of Science degree in Management Science. I'm a qualified accountant, a qualified coach, a certified hypnotist, and currently doing my Master's of Science in Applied Positive Psychology. So a bit of a mixed bag. Definitely not a master of anything, but certainly a jack of all trades (laughs) when it comes to just general business. Really, I guess my base passion is to try and drive change in the world through harnessing the power of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurialism, which is a bit of a common thread through my entire career. So I'm currently working with AFWorks. I would never thought I would ever see myself working with any government organization, let alone with any military organization. But AFWorks is really cool. And it's part of the Air Force. It's, it tends to be described as a, an innovation empowerment office of the US Air Force, as opposed to an innovation office. And so AFWorks is a very small team of people, but we're really, you know, facilitators of change and drivers of change with two main goals. One is to try and Improves the efficiency, effectiveness, and quality of life of people within the Air Force. And then secondly, to, to help with driving a culture of innovation within the Air Force. AfWorks has two main sections to it. One is a government. There's a government-led team based out of the Pentagon, but then operates across lots of different bases around the world. And then a non-government team. I'm obviously in the non-government team. And we have two column innovation hubs. So we have two innovation hubs. One is in BC, Crystal City and one is in Las Vegas. The one in Las Vegas is much bigger than the one in D.C. And those two hubs are both run by non-government team members. And then we also have a hub in Austin, which is also run by the Air Force. My key roles within AFWorks, one is the leader of AfWorks Vegas, and here we have 26,000 square feet of space. We do lots of facilitated workshops, design thinking sessions, lots of events for the Air Force. We connect people From within the Air Force to the external community and startup communities. The Air Force calls it non-traditional business. So typically, any business which has never worked with the government before or the military before, we try and be a connector. And then the other key role that I have is I lead the Afworks Challenge capability, which is one of the tools that we have to connect Air Force problems and and outcomes and opportunities with this industry. In a very different way to the traditional government process. So we try and do things much faster, much simpler, write things in plain English that's easier to read, and then dovetail back into a government process a little bit later in the in the, in the pipeline. And by that time, hopefully, we've engaged enough with these industry folks to that previously probably would never have wanted to work with the government because they get scared off by all the detail and documentation and timeline associated with certain things. Yeah, exactly. Well, great. So well, that's well- in a nutshell, I've worked in Vegas.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that that sounds. Yeah, definitely. You did a great job. You know, I, I think for most of our listeners who are across the world. By the way, we have listeners from Australia, <laughs> as well as Canada and all those other places, the UK and many other regions. And you know, they look to the American innovation ecosystem as sort of like a really interesting model. And it's always interesting to see the collaboration between sort of government entities and industry and startup ecosystem. And, you know, we've been really very good to see sort of the level and extent to which the government as a whole is, is interacting and trying to innovate, you know, both inside of the Department of Defense and across all that, as well as many civilian agencies, what's happening in the Department of Energy and even an IRS. You know, there's mm. so much, so much innovation happening. And I think startups and technology folks who are listening to this podcast should maybe keep an eye open to opportunities. Obviously, if you're outside the U.S., it's a little harder to interact with maybe certain U.S. governmental agencies. But we recently did a report at Cognolytica on worldwide AI strategies. And almost every country now has an AI strategy. And I think interfacing with mm. what's happening in your government would be useful to our for our listeners. So obviously we focus quite a bit on artificial intelligence. And you know, AI is just one of those transformative technologies. I know not maybe everything that even AfWorks is doing. But to what extent have you seen AI impacting what is happening at the Department of Defense and more specifically, the Air Force and what's happening with the network? Cool.
2: Yeah, and I'm happy to expand on that a little bit. One thing that did did pop to mind as you were talking, though, is I was, was, as I said before, I was involved in e-commerce. And I remember someone saying to me a long time ago, at some point in the future, people will not call this e-commerce anymore. It will just be commerce because it's just the way things are done. And I think in many respects, you could argue the same thing with you know with artificial intelligence that essentially I think every country in the world should have an intelligence strategy right now they may call it an artificial intelligence strategy, but eventually I think that this kind of there is just going to be this general merger of human intelligence, artificial intelligence that in the future we won't even really be able to differentiate between the two. So I think that time is coming, not maybe not just yet, but how I see. I guess my involvement, and I'm definitely not a technical person at all, so I guess I'll just speak to this from the just from a general kind of business perspective, but how I've interacted with artificial intelligence in the past and present is, I guess, anything that can help me planning, learning things faster, maybe reasoning things better, helping me solve problems, helping me represent data, helping drive me improvement in perception. So I think from what I've experienced with the computers, uh, as long as they're programmed correctly and the algorithms are good, it can definitely do it faster than me, and it can definitely, in many cases, do it better than me. So if that is the potential of artificial intelligence, that essentially, you know, whether we use AI, machine learning, whatever, t- whatever tagline we give it, it has the potential to literally change everything, as far as I can see. And just to give you a simple example, in the next couple of weeks, we've actually got <laughs> A team coming to AFWORKS Vegas, which is with DARPA, we're going to be running a dogfight between humans and artificial intelligence. So, this will be a, a essentially a flight simulator with a bunch of very experienced pilots flying against a set of algorithms to see who wins in a dogfight. And I thought that was just really timely. We just had the AirPods Association event in Orlando recently, and Elon Musk was present. And one of the things that Elon Musk said at, at the conference was, Essentially, he thinks the age of the fighter pilot, pilot is over and effectively computers are going to take over. And you know, Whether you believe that's true in the next decade or the next 50 years, I'll leave it up to you. But certainly, you know, the world is changing. We are using computers more. We're using data more than we ever have in the past. And there are definitely a whole heap of things that these you know, algorithms can do better and faster than humans. You know, without error, they don't get tired. They can work 24 hours a day. So yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of a lot of application for artificial intelligence in all the work that we're doing right now. I, might, I just came out of a workshop that we're running here in Vegas, which is focused on pilot training. How can we leverage artificial intelligence to improve the quality of training that we give to pilots? Whether it's taking all the data from you know that we collect, whether it you know, be biometric data, data on the plane, response time, reaction time of the pilot whilst they're flying, and then analysing that data and actually coming up with useful bits of information, knowledge that can be shared to help the pilot get better, or even to recommend, you know, this pilot just doesn't really cut it. And maybe they shouldn't be flying a fighter jet, maybe instead they should be flying a transporter. Or so yeah, I really think it is becoming very ubiquitous across everything that I can see in happening in business as well as happening uh, within the Air Force.
0: Yeah, those are some really great use cases. And, you know, I'll be interested to hear what happens when you put the human pilots versus the AI pilots in this dogfight that you're going to have. So that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, very funny.
0: Yeah. So Techstars and AfWorks have partnered together to advance entrepreneurship. Can you explain what what Techstars is all about and how do you see this relationship being helpful to advance the goals of AFWorks?
2: Cool. Well, so, I mean, Textiles has been around for a long time, helping entrepreneurs, helping startups, creating the connection between the idea of the entrepreneur and the investment community, you know, supporting them, giving them tools to help them go through the various stages that you need to go through from, you know, having an idea to actually having a fundable project company. So Textiles has been doing that for a long time. The Air Force developed a partnership with Textiles. I think we did two cohorts. A guy called Captain Dave Lorva, who's just been promoted, actually, sorry, so. He's been the one that's been driving that within the Air Force. And it's been really cool. So finding some like, problem areas, problem topics that the Air Force has, and then partnering with tech with the, you know, the huge network that they have, and seeing if they could help to find some potential you know, startups that may be able to solve the problem at the focus area. And then putting them, you know, they've probably never worked with the government before or the Air Force before. And then having that cohort actually go through a program of work for you know for a number of weeks to develop their product in a military setting, and then have a pitch day where you can invite lots of different people from the Air Force to come, and also other government agencies as well, and then try and find ways of getting that public-private partnership and funding, collective funding between you know the Air Force might throw in some money, but. Textiles may throw in some additional money. Other investors may throw in some money to try and build that idea up and actually get it, get it executed so it makes some positive impact uh, for the warfighter. This has now evolved and now is the creation of ventures has happened and also leveraging the, the SBIR program and trying to find those partnerships, as I said, similarly with the Textiles program, I'm trying to get external investments to come in in partnership with internal Air Force money to drive change faster and better. So that is now kind of evolved into this Ventures opportunity, which is a collaboration between AFWorks, the Air Force Research Labs, as well as the SBIR program and fund.
1: Yeah, that's really intriguing. I, I know that's it's interesting. People don't necessarily think of entrepreneurship and investment and the government communities and the research communities as all sort of you know aligned, but really there is. I mean, we actually did another report on worldwide AI competitiveness, again, with, with the, looking at all these countries. And one of the things we noticed is that it's, we looked specifically at artificial intelligence, but actually this does apply more broadly, that countries that have a very active research pipeline, you know, and fundamental research, you know, whether they're contributing papers or participating, and also have a very active startup ecosystem. Funding ecosystem tends to have strength everywhere else in the economy. They tend to have enterprises and existing incumbent Companies that are more advanced because they they implement this technology, they hire people out of these universities. You know, they adopt these technologies, and then the governments themselves will put uh, funds. They they're investing in their own infrastructure, and it sort of it's all mutually reinforcing. So people tend to think of these things as separate. You know, the government and the industry, and then the startup ecosystem. But it's all part of this continuum of people investing in technology, and that's really very helpful. So it's kind of, I think, for our listeners, really cool to hear about that.
2: So one of the things that the government is, is absolutely really focused on right now is, is what they term as dual-use technology. Where there's a solution that's working in the commercial sector that can also have, have uses in the government sector or the military sector. And from my perspective, I don't want to speak on behalf of anybody, but from my personal perspective looking in, I guess maybe in the past, there have been some companies that really just focused on winning government contracts and they got the government contract and their solution is now implemented inside the government, but there's really not that much incentive for the company to then continue to further advance the solution. Whereas, alternatively, if I have a product which is now got application in the commercial sector, and I have all these competitors that I'm completely focused on, as well as having the same solution be utilized within the government, so now it's a dual use, it's within the government and the commercial sector. So all the competitive forces that exist in the commercial sector are now at play. So I'm constantly going to be trying to improve my product. I'm constantly, you know, we're going to be advancing it because I'm trying to stay ahead of my competitors in, you know, in the real world. And then hopefully then I'll take those upgrades that I give to my solution and I'll allow the government to also get access to that. So that's where I think this kind of dual use, um, looking at products that can be utilized in the commercial world and the government sector, is, has got a huge application in terms of creating a, a better quality solution for the government. Which, to be honest, in mind, you know, looking, looking in as an outsider, the use of technology within the government sector and, and the military sector, certainly there is a lag between you know the applications that you can see working in the commercial world and comparing that to the government. So the, the better we can close that gap, I think, the, the stronger military force as well as a more efficient government.
1: Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the applications of AI that we see in particular are for particularly mundane things, you know, just helping things move along efficiently, being applied to very straightforward processes. And some of the goals of AFWorks in general are to find new efficiencies, you know, in policy and processes and just in general, improve Air Force culture. And so some of these dual use technologies, things that, you know, people maybe use, say the legal industry or wherever may, you know, supply chain management may be applied here to government and Air Force in particular. So what are some Interesting outcomes and technologies that you have seen through the AfriWorks program to date. So specifically, so in relation to leveraging AI, I think the most relevant one that I can think of at this moment in time
2: is will be the project that we did last year, which is continuing into this year, which is around this the, the military call it multi-domain operations. So essentially, it's it's a beast. So it's how do you make sure that globally all the data that's available to decision makers is being I guess cleaned and validated and then ingested in some way into into some sort of a data repository and then analyzed effectively so that information can then come out of it and mm-hmm. then be used in a kind of a human slash computer decision support system to make improved decisions. And then disseminate the, the outcomes of those decisions, you know, whether it be in terms of some directives that needs to happen, some change that needs to happen. And then get data to prove whether or not what you just did actually was effective or was ineffective. And then you have that kind of loop going around. So we ran a process last year. We put out to the world, could anybody in, you know, in industry from all the allied countries help us with this problem. And we had 317 submissions from large businesses, small businesses, I think four different countries were represented with the submission process. We then had 80 expert kind of reviewers, assessors within the government to go through all of those submissions. And from that, we selected the top 100 teams. And then we brought all those 100 teams together uh, to an event in June of last year. Where we then selected the top thirty out of those, and now in April of this year of 2020, we're going to be having a demonstration where each of those companies will be presenting the demonstration of their technology solution. And you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, in some way, is embedded in all of those solution sets that we're going to be looking at. So again, it you know whether it improves the quality of, of data analysis, the speed at which it can happen, the data cleansing, the data visualization, the representation, the helping with decision making, helping communicate stuff. Again, like I say, I think it's ubiquitous in relation to all of those topics. So that's, that's probably the biggest biggest project that we have certainly worked on where AI was definitely a big part of it. We're going to bring another one. Uh, very shortly, we'll be announcing, I think probably next week, we're going to be announcing another initiative that we're working on with the Air Force called Base of the Future. And this is essentially trying to look at opportunities for for the Air Force, but also these things could be applied across all the different DOD agencies plus anything where, where there is an installation or a base. And one of the key key areas of that is how can we leverage new technology to assist with efficiency and effectiveness of a base? So, again, how can you leverage technology to improve decision-making, improve data analysis? You know, all these IoT sensors, they're going to be all over the place. There's going to be producing a lot of data that needs to be analyzed and looking for trends, looking for patterns, looking for things that look abnormal, and then partnering up with a human to improve things. So if you think of perimeter security as an example, how could you better leverage technology as well as humans to provide a secure perimeter of a base? And some of these bases are you know, thousands of miles long, cut across water, cut across land, maybe in austere locations around the world. So how can we actually leverage computation systems and sensors with humans? And the, you know, let's face it, the budget of the military is definitely something that always seems to be an issue within this country from my six years of living here. So, if the budget of the military is not necessarily going to increase over time, then the more efficient the air force can be, or other military agencies can be, with utilising human assets and investing in computer assets, digital assets, I can only see that increasing over time. And I think you know some of the competitors to the U.S. in the military side, you know, whether it be China, just take China as one example. You know, the country as a whole is doing a hell of a lot more, a hell of a lot of investment within artificial intelligence and leveraging AI. You know, facial recognition in convenience stores, payments through facial recognition, there's just a lot, a lot more that's happening that I can see within the, you know, the Chinese community that, you know, if that then gets into the military hands, you know, the U.S. needs to be investing a lot and focused on on some of these areas.
0: Yeah, those are some great examples. You know, that base of the future is something that's really interesting, and it's great that you guys are working on that, because how does the Air Force evolve with the changing times? Seems like you guys yeah. are thinking about that, and that that's absolutely great. And this was a great podcast. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. I'd like to end by, what do you <laughs> believe the future of AI is in general and its applications to organizations, governments, and beyond?
2: Well, like I said earlier, I think eventually the, the kind of the A will drop and it will just be seen as intelligence. I love sci-fi, so I can't, I guess I can't really talk about artificial intelligence and the military and not mention my fear of Skynet eventually, eventually taking over. But no, I need mean, some, uh, just some wide scene within the, the military application. Like I said, there's, there's just so much opportunity for you know, computer systems, artificial intelligence, machine learning to make positive impacts and, and improve things. One of the things I'm currently working on, we're really focused on the well-being of airmen. And one of the ideas that came up in the workshop that we were on recently was, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get every single airman and their spouse, partner, and their children a life coach? You know, they cope with so much stress. Stress of moving around the world, stresses of the, the job, stresses of not necessarily being able to share some of the information they have at work because, you know, that's security levels. So there's a lot of stress that we put on these people. And, you know, we, we had in the last year, sadly, 137 suicides of, of airmen, um, tragically, that just enlisted airmen in the National Guard and Reserves. So clearly, if that's the tip of the iceberg, then there's a lot of other people struggling with well-being. But we can't afford to to obviously give everybody, there aren't, I don't think there are enough life coaches available to have one for each of the 700,000 people that work for the Air Force. So one of the ideas that we were looking at was, well, surely there must be some sort of AI solution, some sort of coaching bots that we can utilize. It's obviously not going to be just yet as good as a human-to-human interaction. But if the purpose of a life coach is to ask questions, listen to feedback, then respond with another question and try and challenge and provoke the human to think, maybe think things differently, to identify patterns, then surely that would be a really awesome application for, for AI. And there are a number of companies, and we're currently looking at a few companies around the world that are focused just on this topic, And then to extend it, I then saw an application of another company where they said, okay, well, not only can we do the coaching bot, where we can actually have text, you know, text written by a human, text responses from the AI. But then you can also do that, you know, you can also do that um, verbally. So spoken words can be done. And we can even also do it visually. And I saw, I can't remember what it was, but a friend of mine showed me this video. Essentially, it was Barack Obama speaking, but I could type in whatever it was I wanted Barack Obama to say. And to my naked eye, it looked like Barack Obama was saying everything that I wanted him to say. So I know there's some pretty awesome technology out there which we think we could leverage to provide some sort of a scalable coaching solution for M and Atmas, and that obviously has commercial application because, uh, as a, you know, as a qualified coach myself, I, I can appreciate the value of coaching. And if we can find a way to scale, you know, instead of the human-human interaction, the, you know an AI solution for this with unlimited scalability that the AI coach could be having 15,000 simultaneous conversations with people. That's going to be infinitely more effective than, than having a bunch of humans do that. Who get tired and can't work more than 24 hours in a day and can't have more than one conversation at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like I say, applications with pilot training, applications with dogfighting. So there's, yeah, I see a, I see a lot of, lot of applications for AI within within the government and military setting, very exciting times.
1: Yeah, this has been really very interesting. I mean, we we spent a lot of our time listening to others and really researching and talking about all these different use cases, and we're finding it in every corner of society and in application. And I really like this idea of sort of the sort of like conversational coach chatbot with some. You know, visual, you know, EQ that like to go along with the IQ that could be really interesting, and we've heard about some people working on this in the space of of helping people with issues, suffering from depression, and a bunch of things, having some, someone to talk to. So this is really very interesting. Well, well obviously, we not necessarily something we had thought that was going to be part of Afrox, but it's kind of cool that you're looking at this dimension of application, not just to the war fighting, but to the war fighter and to the whole situation. I think that that's really, really very inspiring. So. And- Yeah, no problem. So, Mark, just wanted to thank you so much. You've provided so much great insight here and really great, thoughtful stuff here on this podcast. We've really enjoyed having you. And listeners, we hope you found a lot of value in listening to Mark and all the information here about AffWorks and Techstars and the innovation that's happening. And, And you can apply it to your own situation wherever you are today. So thank you once again, Mark, for participating on AI Today. Thank you. No problem at all. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com.